Welcome to Let's Open the Bible, where our goal is to open the Bible and look at what it says. For the next few minutes, we will be looking at a passage from one book. We will continue weekly until we finish that book. I'm Tom Nordstrom, and with me is Bill, Casey, and Nate. Welcome to Let's Open the Bible. This is season number three, episode number nine, and we are in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 13, verse, Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Again, that's Mark chapter 4, 13 through 25. Uh, Nate is going to be doing a reading, and then we will have some discussion on the verses that we read here. All right, we're kind of uh, in two separate contexts here. We're going to be jumping, so if it's okay, I'm going to read 13 through 20. And then do 21 through 25. Is that okay? All right. So we'll read this and then discuss it and then do the next one. Mark 4, 13 through 20. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the, sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of the things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. All right, so here we see the message of the parable. And what we find out, I'll just introduce the, the bare-bone uh, basics of it. What we find out is the sower sowing the seed is like Jesus sowing the word. Um, and so the seed would be the word. The seed would be the truth of God's word. And as these people receive it, and as as the word falls on these different individuals' hearts, they're all going to respond a different way. And so um, those four pictures of the four soils are representations of, do people have soft hearts? Do they have hard hearts? Are they excited for a little bit? And they respond for a minute, but then uh, other things get in the way. So now we can go through and, I guess, kind of pick maybe each one apart Um or however we decide to go about it based on whatever other comments everyone has to say. But there's more depth than that, but that is the the basics of the meaning of the parable. Okay, yes, and I have already warned Nate and Casey that I have a lot to say on this one. Um, And yes, this is describing hearts of everybody, but... I propose also that it is describing our own hearts because there are passages in the Bible that sometimes we receive the truth of God's word and we're just like, nope, that does not apply to me. And in that case, we are our heart is that hard path and we reject the truth of God's word. And there are other passages where we accept, oh yeah, this is great. And then somebody from the outside world comes and gives a pushback to that. And we're like, okay, we just fold like a house of cards, just collapse. And well, okay, I guess the Bible's wrong. 
other times there are passages that we get and we receive and we spring up and then all of a sudden, well, I have to move because my job is done and, you know, everything has to worry about, do I make the house payment? Do I make the rent payment? Do I, how do I put food on? instead of focusing on God's word? And then there are other times where the word of God seeks into our heart and I accept it and I live it and it affects my life in the positive way that it will. And I, I grow in understanding of God's word and it just blossoms. But those other three seeds, those other three times, it might have fallen on my heart, not necess- not yours, not your heart, but on my heart. And yet I didn't like what the truth of God's word said, so I'm going to reject it. And I'm using that one as an example. And I would argue that everyone's heart falls in one of these four categories. You know, whether it's thorny ground, the wayside, um, the good ground, any of those your heart falls in one of these categories. Each specific instance looks a little bit different, um, but I would say that we need to examine our own hearts and figure out where we lie at. Um, obviously, the point is hopefully we are in the good soil that yields fruit and that springs up and that doesn't have anything that hinders it from growing. And I think sometimes as a Christian, you know, you go through spurts where maybe you aren't producing as much fruit as you should, but hopefully you're still in the good soil where you need to be at. I think that Tom, I think you're right that there's kind of a maybe a dual, a not dual D U A L application here. One is for Jesus's immediate people that he's talking to, um, that they should be the good soil, and the people he's talking to, the scribes and the Pharisees, the disciples, the the, the chosen twelve, they need to analyze their hearts and be the good soil. That's application one. But I think another side of this application, just like you're saying, is as the readers of Mark, whenever we take in this whole book, are we gonna, you know, are we gonna accept it for a little bit and like it and be crazy about it? But as soon as something else comes up, nah, I don't want anything to do with. I don't want anything to do with the Bible. Um, and I, I could tell story after story of different Bible studies that we've had and conversions that we've had, uh, and how they replicate or, or mirror these very soils or the very um, points that Jesus is making about the soils. It's it's wild how you see things line up exactly with what Jesus said. He definitely has some wisdom in this. In my experience, which is, I would say, kind of limited, you know, it seems to me the ones that I see most often seems to be the stony ground, which is they immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves, so they don't last, you know. A lot of times Christians are baptized, they're added to the church, and within a couple months they kind of just, you don't see them anymore. Um, They're just not there. Just the things of the world, their schedules, just different things have turned them away. And also the idea of thorns, you know, the things of the world choke out the word. They're more important than God's word. They're more important than being a Christian. Um, And I'm sure that people maybe have some different opinion than that, but it seems to me those are kind of the two most common that I see, you know, the one where Satan immediately takes it away. That person wasn't really ready to hear it in the first place. And so I feel like those people, you might not even get to a point where you have a conversation with them about God's word because they're just not ready to hear it. And so it seems, at least in my experience, which like I said, is relatively limited. um, The stony ground and the thorny ground seem to be pretty, um, 
seem to be a prevalent case in some of the people that I've talked to anyways. How many of that, or how much of that is on our fault? Because we spend so much time getting them to believe, and then we just drop them, and we don't we don't help cultivate the soil. That is one thing that this parable doesn't talk about. We can cultivate our soil, our heart. We can, yes, today I'm worried about, you know, this worldly concern. But God tells me not to worry because he's in control. Okay, so I can learn and cultivate my soil and make the take the thorns out and make the thin soil thicker. And Jesus talks about a, a, another parable later on about the fig tree where the gardener cultivates the soil and, and tries to make it produce. One thing that's not specifically mentioned here, but that I've thought about is that soil is ever changing and it requires different procedures and things to make it to where it will produce fruit. And so we need to make sure that we're constantly um, working on that soil, whether that's our own soil or the soil of others to cultivate it so that they can produce fruit. Um, and, you know, as ministers, especially, I would say, if there's soil that we can classify as one of these that's not the good soil, we need to try and do what we can to remove the things that are making the soil unproductive. Um, try to get it to a point to where that soil will produce, you know, whether that's different conversations or just trying to, you know, I've always heard in evangelism that personal relationships are really, really important as far as um, getting people to receive the word the way that they should. And, you know, some of that is that's cultivating the soil. That's just working on maybe you don't even approach with, hey, do you want to have a Bible study? No, it's just, hey, I'll be a friend. Let's hang out. Let's get to know each other. Let's um, talk, those sorts of things. And so you can go about this different ways. There is a book I've read or at least read some of called Tactics that approaches this idea of how do you approach and how do you cultivate soil? How do you get people to where they need to be at? Um, And so it's definitely a there's a lot to be said about this topic. But I would argue that everyone falls into one of these four categories. Um, And so it's up to you, but also up to us as Christians that are trying to bring in other Christians to identify the soil and then try and take steps to mend that soil and make it what it should be. You know, one thing that we can do to mend the soil or cultivate our hearts, and we kind of discuss this outside the podcast amongst ourselves, of just doing a church activity where we just, and it's easy for us because we're in a smaller congregation to get the whole church to go and do something. I understand that if you're in a large community with a large um, church active body, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get just the whole church to go and do something. But we read in the book of Acts, that's what they did. The church, they did everything together. They ate together. If somebody had need, somebody who had something, they would ha- they would share with one with another. And how, you know, I believe that's why the church grew so fast in the first century is because they the world saw the united front and that they had everything in common with each other. And you know, this is kind of going with this parable is they were cultivating those hearts. Oh, you're worried, you know, you, you don't have enough food for you for the week? Well, here, here's some of mine. You know, I have plenty. I have an extra. I have an extra loaf of bread. Here's it. You know, here it is. And 
So that's cultivating, that's taking a worry away from somebody so that they can focus on God's word. Uh, one thing I want to add is that good soil doesn't stay good soil without some hard work and dedication. And so you might be hearing this today and you might think, man, I have good soil. I don't have anything to worry about. But beware because very soon weeds slash thorns can spring up. And then if you have any experience in gardening uh, and know how much of a pain it is to weed a garden bed, well, soon weeds just take over. They spread like wildfire. And so you might have good soil right now, but if you don't watch out, watch out for Satan and the devices that he uses, very quickly your soil can change to a soil that's not productive and that is not producing the way that it should. I think sometimes we need to make sure that we're talking about cultivating soil and we're talking about as a church, we need to make sure we cultivate the, you know, do our do our part to stay on top of other members and make sure that we have the good soil and and although it's not our um ultimately everyone has an individual responsibility however there are certainly the bible 100% teaches that uh on some level we are there is some responsibility towards fellow christians um and and again ultimately it's on them but i think i'll bounce off of that idea that you had mentioned and I'm afraid that sometimes we make other people's, we make this soil a lot harder to accept than God has. Um, and sometimes, and I'm not saying us as individuals, but in general, we, I'm afraid that sometimes we make Christianity so scary and so intimidating and um, we bind rules on people that God hasn't. Um, and, you know, these people have soft hearts, but based on our, as we teach them the gospel, we make the, we make the seed look a lot harder to accept than it is. And I think I am guilty of that. You know, someone wants to become a Christian and we're like, well, I don't know if they're ready. Well, you know, soft soil, soft soil. Um, and we need to, and there's some wisdom on either side of that. So I don't want to, you know, go too far to one extreme, but my point is, uh, we need to make sure that we don't make accepting the seed harder than it is um and whenever someone has soft soil to recognize it and help them arrive at soft soil and help them cut out some of the worries of the world and the thorns and rocks and we have a responsibility to do that and i think sometimes we think that the soil has to be prepared and then the seed's sown but what we see here in the parable of the sower is that the seed is sown and you can work on the soil even after the seed is sown. And just we need to make sure that we sow the seed, that we are doing our due diligence on that. You know, we can wait so long to sow the seed that we prepare the soil and we never sow the seed because we're so worried on whether the soil is going to be ready for it or not. And so um, I do think there is some diligence in trying to prepare the soil. But at the end of the day, we just need to sow the seed and hopefully they have prepared their own soil to where they can receive it and we can still help along the way. Uh, but don't let preparing the soil be an excuse for not sowing the seed at all. Um, and I think sometimes we do that where we are so worried about them being prepared to hear it that we never have the actual conversation. You know, one thing, um, I can't, the only conversion in X that I can think of where anybody was asked, how can we stop this, is Cornelius. And that was a special p case because up until Cornelius... Everybody that was converted was a Jew. 
Cornelius was the first Gentile. And so when Peter went to visit Cornelius, he went and acknowledged, hey, you know, I'm not supposed to even be here. And, you know, God had to, even after Peter's vision about God saying, what I've made clean, don't call dirty or don't call common. Even after that, it wasn't until Peter saw the Holy Spirit poured out on Cornelius, just as it was him on the day of Pentecost, that he's finally grasped the idea that, oh, the gospel, Jesus, God's salvation is for everybody. And the Jews that were with him were in the same boat. And so, you know, everybody else that I have, that I remember in, in Acts, they said they were ready. The, the, the apostles, whoever, baptized them. You know, it wasn't, well, I don't think you're ready or I don't think, you know, their heart might have been any one of these soils that we're talking about, but they felt they were ready to receive the word. How are, who are we to oppose God? Yeah. Yeah, we need to definitely make sure that I think the point is what we're all making is we shouldn't withhold we shouldn't be such analyzers. Our goal is not to be soil analyzers. Our goal is to be seed sowers. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's a good point. Uh, I think it's very interesting that the two, he talks about the thorns and the seed springs up. Um, but what are, what do the thorns represent that choke the seed out there? He mentions two things, the worries of the world or the cares of the world, and then the deceitfulness, of, well, I guess there's three things. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires uh, for other things. I think that's a, I think that's a very cool list um, because it's so comprehensive. I mean, that covers everything. Uh, you know, someone, I can think of situations where someone has become a Christian and they've accepted Jesus and they're excited and they're on fire, but it doesn't take very long before one of these three things comes in, this, the cares of the world. Um, anything else in, in the world. Um, I think what's so interesting is the deceitfulness of riches. And, you know, we think about, I, I got a money in our, our jobs, being able to pay the bills. I, you could almost root everything back to money. Um, we see the love of money is the root of all evil. And what we see here is that riches, that, that whole idea of, of finances, at the end of the day is is a lie. It's deceitful. Um, and riches have a way of deceiving us. And what that looks like is, man, I can't make it to church or I can't read my Bible because I'm busy um, doing X, Y, Z. A lot of those things that we do that we stay busy with to keep us from being invested in God have to do with our finances. Um, so many of them. And again, at the end of the day, that's it's deceitful. It's it, we, we can't take it. We can't take it to heaven with us. It's a lie. Um, and riches are not going to get us anywhere. Um, and then last is just the uh, desires for other things. I've seen you know numerous people who are you know seem excited for a while and want to do it, but then you know what is my what is my family going to think or what when you know Mark has already talked or Jesus has already talked about that. What is my family going to think or you know, I might you know lose my job, or I might. Uh, it's going to be uncomfortable when I talk to people I used to know. Anything can come in the way. Now, I just think that's a really 
really cool list, um, those three things that can come and choke out God's Word in our heart. You know, that, that it's interesting you point that out. I actually had not thought about it until you pointed it out, but they're all three tied together. I mean, they definitely are tied here together because one of one of the cares of the world is why well, I don't have enough to buy my pay my house payment or it's going to be late or something like that. And the deceitfulness of money, which is tied to the cares of the world in that aspect, is, well, if I just make an extra 20 bucks, I won't have that problem. Uh, yeah, you will. And the reason you will is because as soon as you make that extra 20 bucks, well, my car is old and, you know, it's on its last legs. I need to buy a new car. So you go, you just go to the, I need more stuff. I have, I have this concern about money to make pay my utilities or pay, you know, and then I, so I have to work to make more money. But then when I make more money, I have to buy new stuff because my stuff is old and it's not new anymore. It's interesting. I just saw this as I was reading. So the one with the thorns, um, so all those things are listed there and then it says, and it becomes unfruitful which to me means at some point maybe it was fruitful, but these things have choked it out to where it's no longer fruitful. So it's not that it didn't take root and it didn't grow at all. It did, and there was some substance to it at some point, but these things became more important and therefore choked out the word to where at some point it's no longer producing fruit. And so some might think, oh, the thorns just immediately choked it out. It didn't really have root anyways. It was never going to survive. Well, it seems like at some point it was surviving, it was producing fruit, but something came up to where it choked it out and it no longer was producing fruit as it once was. I think that goes back to the point of that you were making earlier that we need to be very careful about not letting the weeds in uh, because they're, even if we're good soil now, be careful because the weeds are coming. I think something else along that same line is in the story, in the parable, the birds came and picked up the, the seed and Jesus compares that to Satan, and, and Satan wants to come and snatch God's word out of our heart. And we read in uh, James, as well as First Peter, I think it's in First Peter, that said Satan is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I believe that's Peter. James talks about, um, you know, Satan is, is looking for us, and, and he wants to defeat us. And here we see that one of the ways that Satan acts is by taking the word out of our heart. Um, and I, I think, you know, I can think of times in my life where I feel on fire and I'm ready and I'm studying, I'm learning, I'm growing. And then, you know, the next week, for whatever reason, I'm just, you know, I just don't have the same fire that I did. And I, I wonder if this teaching here in Mark 4, we can directly attribute that to Satan is, is looking to pull God's word out of us. Um, and to pluck the seed out of our of the soil of our heart in any way that he can. And he's looking, and we need to be on guard against it. You know, uh, wait, just because the soil is good for the seed of God, it's also good for the seeds of the cares of the world. So, you know, it, it just because the soil is good doesn't, necess- doesn't mean it's only good for one thing. It's good for everything. And... You know, that's a, if you ever read any self, self-help self books, that's one of the things they point out 
your mind is such a fertile ground. But, I mean, it will produce whatever you put into it. You put negative thoughts into it, it will produce negative thoughts. You put positive and reaffirming and good things into it, it will produce positive, reaffirming, and good things into it. But you have to be careful. You have to always weed out those negative emotions and the negative thoughts. I will add, and then we can move on to this next section unless anyone else has anything to add. The good fruit, or sorry, the good soil, some of the some of the seeds bear, uh, they all bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. I think we can easily compare ourselves to other Christians and say, well, they're doing, you know, they're really, really good Christians, and they're bearing, maybe they're bearing 100, 100-fold, and, and maybe they're the preacher or the evangelist or an elder or, you know, just a stand-up Christian, and we're over here, and we've, we're down in the dumps because we feel like we're just bearing, you know, 30-fold. We're not, we're not that Christian um, who's bearing all that fruit. And what this teaches us is that we need to produce the fruit, whether we are the 30-fold or the 100-fold, we need to bear fruit. And God gave us the uh, gifts and talents that he gave us, and our job is not to—we see the whole message of 1 Corinthians is don't compare— uh, yourself to other members of the body, but do your job um, and you know bear the fruit, use the talents that you were given. And so we see that that not all of the plants are going to bear the same amount of fruit, but that's okay. That's not the point. The point is to be the good soil and bear fruit in whatever way that you that you can. So we learn a lesson in comparing ourselves to to other uh, Christians here. Anything else? What you're saying is, do your best, yeah, right. because it's what you can do. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to 21 through 25. This is a, a shorter section, another parable. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will it be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Uh, this is a interesting section, uh, and I'm, I think, again, this is another parable. We see the same phrase, uh, anyone who has an ear, let him hear. So he's teaching another parable here, and this first the, the illustration he gives is if you get a lamp, which I'm sure lamps in their day was not a light bulb, and you plug it in, it would have been a like an oil lamp or something that you light with the wick uh, or maybe a candle, something like that. He says whenever you buy a lamp, you don't uh, put it under a basket or put it under a bed, but you put it on a stand. You don't buy a lamp to be hidden. You buy a lamp to give light to the whole house. Um, so what are, I mean... I'm wondering, I'm curious what y'all's thoughts are on it before I talk anymore. And I'm going to look at, I have my notebook here. I'm I'm grasping for an understanding here, but I'm going to have to go to my, my school notes and wrap my mind around this parable a little better. Well, you, you, wanna, you light a light so that you can see. Um, and, you know, nobody lights a light and then puts a cover on it so they can't see anything. 
they light a light so they can see what's happening around them, so that they can see what's coming, uh, walking on a, on a pathway so they're not stumbling over rocks or tree roots or stumps or anything like that. If they're in a house, they're not tripping over somebody who might be resting on the floor because, you know, back in the day, they probably didn't have beds like we have. They probably did sleep on the floor. So you put a lamp up on a stand so it gives as much light to your surrounding environment as it can. I mean, I think for me, and I could be wrong, it makes sense that this lamp, this light is God's word that leads us in the right direction. You know, Psalm says that thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Um, that's kind of what I think when I see this analogy that's used here, This, um, these two things that are compared. Uh, Jesus' word, you know, Jesus' word should not be put under a basket or put under a bed, but it should be put on a lampstand so that other people can be led in the right direction. So... This goes for, I guess, maybe the use of parables that he's not trying to, he wants to people to hear and to understand. He wasn't just people just to hear and just to go in one ear and out the other. He wants people to understand what's being said so they can take full advantage of the light that's being given. Um, and we, the same, that know God's word, that knows what it says, we should be willing to share that with other people to lead people in the right direction. And so we, as Christians, have access to this light and so why do we sometimes hide this light under a bed or under the table when we should be proudly putting that on a lampstand to lead other people in the right direction? You know, I, I just happened to think of this. It kind of goes back to what I, was state, what I started the last parable with. You know, the light of God's word needs to light up our entire life. How many of us... Um, have something that we like. Well, yes, I want God in my life, except for this part. I, I, I'm okay seeing, watching this type of TV show or watching this type of movie because it's just entertainment. And yes, God, if God were to come today and walk into my house, he probably wouldn't like me watching this or reading this or doing something like that. But, you know, it has to light up the whole life the word of God has to light up your whole life and it has to illuminate. And there are some ugly things that might be exposed that you have to be able to, okay, I, I got to clean that corner of my life. I think we see, all right. So I think after kind of looking at my notes, I think that we're, I mean, based on what my instructor said on the right track and, and understanding what this is saying Referring back to the parables, he's saying he is the lamp, and he is not trying to hide himself, but he's giving, you know, the parables are giving light. Um, and then, based on that same idea of, of listening to what these disciples, or the disciples are listening to Jesus, but they're also hearing, you know, the old, um, the old traditions and the old laws that the scribes and Pharisees are binding that we have, we've seen in previous chapters— and that's why he says in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Um, he's saying be careful about what you take into your mind. If he's the light and his word is the light, um, you guys need to pay attention to what you hear. And then he goes into this at the end of that, verse 25, and at the end of verse 24 and 25, uh, it seems like he's warning them of the responsibility that they have of, of the knowledge that they have and the information that they're hearing. Is that 
Yeah, and it makes me think of the definition of wisdom, which is the practical application of knowledge. And so it's one thing to just know something, but then to put it into practice and actually use it and actually do what it says, that's different. Um, I also think about the verse that says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Um, And so that, again, you know, you can know what's a sin and what's not, but then to actually not do that thing is a little bit different. It takes it to the next level. And so here... He's warning against, okay, be careful what you hear, because if you hear it, the expectation is that you're going to follow it and you're going to do the things that are necessary. And so that's the idea that I get here from this last, last section. Um, yeah, um, just continuing on, you know, pay attention to what you hear, because the measure that you use, that's what's going to be measured to you. Um, you guys were gone a couple Wednesdays ago. And we had just a kind of an open discussion, and one of our members brought up the uh, parable of the talents, where one had ten, one had five, and one had two. And he was like, yeah, I, I just came across this, that those are, the talents are not necessarily talent as money or as uh, a gift, but the forgiveness that these people had gotten. And the one who had the most forgiven, he went out and forgave the most people. And the one who had the least forgiven, he didn't even bring it to the bank to to forgive anybody. And what happened to in that parable? Well, the one who had 10 talents, he got to keep his 10 and then he was invited into this master's rest. And the same with the five. Whereas the one with the one talent, he got kicked out. So what you give out is what you're going to get back. And... You know, life is a boomerang. Whatever you put out there is coming back to you, and it's coming back harder than what you threw it. So, so it seems to be in that this section 21 through 25 kind of works together with the parable of the sower and the explanation of the sower. So I guess to kind of sum up 4, 13 through 20, what we originally read is the explanation of the sower, that each individual... Uh, hearing Jesus represents a different type of soil. And they are, um, whether they they hear the word, some will accept it for a little bit, but other things are going to get in the way. Satan's going to try and pluck it out. The the main idea is to to be the good soil, um, be the type of person who is the, the soil that can accept what Jesus has to say. And then he goes in, verses 21 through 25, um, and continues off the idea of, of hearing the word and accepting the word. And he's saying, you know, accept this light, um, but be, pay attention to what you hear and challenge what you say. Um, and the, he warns them in verse 24 and 25 against, you know, listening to Jesus and, and listening to other ideas that um, the way that you accept this is going to affect you. It's not just uh, you know, listening and, and nothing happens to it. But if you listen, you know, that and, and accept it and change it, that's going to have an effect on you. Um, and so Jesus is warning them against the seriousness of uh, accepting the word or not accepting the word and accepting other ideas. Anything else? All right. Um, there's one verse that I kind of thought about when we were talking about this. Let me see. I just want to check it real quick. Hmm. 
All right, so it's 2 Peter 2 and verse 21. It says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. I mean, that's kind of exactly what we've been saying here, you know. Be careful what you hear because based on what you hear, um, your expectation changes. You know, if you hear the good news, you hear the word of God, you're expected to respond to that in an appropriate manner. Um, and so that's that's essentially the message there in these last couple of verses that we discussed today. I'm trying to think of there's a, I want to say it's in First Peter about being judged. I know First Peter one seventeen talks about you're judged according to your deeds, but there's God judges impartially according to each one's deeds is First Peter one seventeen. I'm trying to think of there's a passage that talks about being judged by the word um, or being judged by. Oh, John yeah, yeah, yeah. John you're right. Um, so anyway, same John twelve forty eight. Same same concept. What we're saying is. You know, Jesus says, listen to my word, but be careful, because when you hear it, that's the new expectation. Um, it reminds me, um, you know, Romans talks about we're, we're, we're judged by um, the what we hear, and the Gentiles, they knew God, and they should have owned up to that and, and, and respected the um, authority that they, that they knew they had. Just quickly want to throw in, I think we're all expected to hear God's word, and so don't think you can just plug your ears and never hear it, and you'll be all right. Um, I think we are all, the expectation is that we will hear God's word, but then once we hear it, I feel like the expectation is raised a little bit more to, hey, you need to follow what you heard. Um, And so don't think that, man, if I just plug my ears for my whole life and never hear God's word, that I'm going to get by scotch-free. Well, that's not how it works. You're supposed to, the expectation is that you'll hear God's word. Yeah, uh, and that's addressed in Romans also because Paul says that in Romans that, you know, just looking out in the world, you can see the fingerprints of God. Um, And uh, for my closing statement, I just want to say, you know, that what you have, or from whom he who has more will be given, and from he who has nothing, whatever he has will be taken. You know, it's one of those things it's a scary thought to think of that, you know, right now you have the opportunity to turn your life around and live for God and live and help others. But at some point you're not going to have that opportunity. We just went through the holiday seasons and probably the more, the second most famous story for the holiday season is a Christmas Carol. And that Marley's ghost opening scene is very the movies don't ever do it justice because at the end of that scene just before marley's leaves um scrooge looks out his window and he sees other ghosts on the street and they are lamenting the fact that they can't help somebody and so they don't they've lost the ability to interact with people and that's very frightening if you stop and think about it all right so the parable of the sower is covered and point of this be the good soil and jesus goes in in 21 through 25 talks about the seriousness of accepting the word and the consequences that um will ensue if if we don't and what we hear we're going to be held to that standard um so are you the good soil or um would you have to admit you know if you analyze your your soil type as you listen to this think about what soil am i you know as i hear God's word, and I I know the decisions I'm making are wrong. I know the right decisions to make, but I don't really care. Um, 
that's not the good soil. And the good soil is humble and honest and, and makes the decisions they need to. And if you're the good soil and you want to make those changes in your life, reach out to us. That's what we're here for. We want to help you. And uh, again, this is a, a very important decision. So I hope this uh, resonates in your mind. And this is not our words, my words, or Tom's words, or Casey's words. This is God's word. Um, we're not important, but God's word is. And let God's word um, resonate and be the seed that grows in your mind. And reach out to us, and we will help you do the rest. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Let's Open the Bible podcast. If you have any questions or if you want to talk about the next steps in your faith journey uh, or you are interested in receiving the daily Bible verse over text that corresponds to the content of this podcast, reach out to us at openthebible2022 at gmail.com and we will get back with you. Uh, We thank you for listening and we will catch you on the next one. Have a good day.